Welcome to the Living in Mayhem podcast. I'm your host, Toro, and I'm from the line that's slim from country ass Texas. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, Toto? Episode six, man. We in here. We got a special guest today, man. We got Sam Walbrick on the line. How you doing, hey, Sam? How's it going, Sam? Oh, I'm doing great, guys. Uh, you know, uh, been checking out those podcast since episode one. Um, but loving what I'm hearing so far, man. I mean, I love the open exchange of ideas. Um, I love the way that you get people thinking. Uh, cause, man, I'm, I'm definitely a huge advocate of that. I want people to think. Don't just hear what you're told and take it to be true. Do your own research. Look into these facts. Find the history. Find the evidence. And make up your own mind. Don't just take what's being said to you. That's what I love about what you guys are doing here. That's why I'm thrilled to be on with you guys this evening. That's what's up, man. We appreciate you. Yeah, man. Hell yeah. Thank you for taking the time out and actually, like, you know, coming on our show. And, um. No, it's definitely the pleasure is all mine. Yeah. Perfect intro, too. I I definitely agree with that. You know, that everybody got to open their minds a little bit and be their own judge. For sure. So, uh, won't you tell us a little bit about Texas first so we can get to know you a little bit and then we can dive deep into whatever Slim wants to talk about. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, so definitely, I mean, I've lived in Texas my entire life. You know, I've grown up, uh, here in central Texas in the Austin area. Uh, grew up in a little town called, uh, Hutto, uh, which some people around here have actually heard of now. It has been growing. But, you know, to put that into perspective, the small town that I grew up in, you know, you waved at everybody because you knew everybody. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We didn't lock our doors. We didn't lock our windows. Um, you know, there was never a need. You never locked your cars. You left your keys on the seat. It was easy to get to them. In D.C., I was working in D.C. this week, right? And it's funny you say that. You you guys, you know, leave your doors unlocked. My friend, his he actually can't lock his car door. Cause it's broke <laughs> and, uh, he had something he bought from Home Depot. We went inside, came out and it was gone. <laughs> All it took is 15 minutes. Yeah. See, I mean, and that's terrible. You know, that's, that to me is, is the worst kind of thing right there. You know, just to go and take something behind somebody else's back like that when, when that person put in the work to do that. Yeah. You know, when they, when they went out there and spent their hard earned cash on something that they needed and just to get it taken. No. Yeah. Keep that guy in the street. You shouldn't be in. I rather I rather rob than steal to be honest with you. I mean I wouldn't do none, but personally I would rob <laughs> instead of stealing. I'm just I'm just saying. <laughs> That's oh, all yeah. I'm saying. Well, you know, hey, I can I can appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, so um, keep going, Sam. So I keep telling is uh so you're in, in Hutto. All right. So uh, another little interesting fact about Hutto. So uh, you know, a lot of different schools have different mascots. You know, uh, tigers, lions, eagles. You know, and there's tons of schools that have those. A mascot is we are the only school in the country that has this mascot. I was a fighting Hutto hippo. A hippo. <laughs> hey, hippos is one of the most dangerous animals in the world. I think yeah, they're yeah, the top yeah. ones that kill more yeah, humans. In, in Africa, <laughs> in Africa, there are more humans killed by hippos yeah. than by crocodiles and lions combined. <laughs> but that's random, though, you know, because they, they make that they make that am, animal to look so soft and stuff. Yeah, but it's but, not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. Okay, so, as to the why, in, in 1905, there was a traveling circus that came through that area. 
they had a hippo. This hippo escaped and made its way to a local creek. Uh, and they had such one, you know, they had a hell of a time catching this thing. You know, it was not wanting to be caught. Yeah. And uh, just the impression that that made upon the townspeople gave them that name, you know, just made them decide to use that name for the mascot. That's crazy. Because of the fight that this, because of the fight that this hippo put up. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. And I mean, we've got in, you know, downtown Hutto, yeah, there's a we've got a big old hippo statue. That's wow. about the biggest, most exciting thing there in town. I gotta go <laughs> see that, man. Yeah, what, what is this town called? Hutto. 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 Yep, Hutto. H U T T O. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! And um, you were just telling us before we before I hit record, you said how many people were in your high school graduation? Okay, so yeah, um, I grew up in a town. Our population was 640. Uh, when I graduated high school, my graduating class consisted of 69 people. That's great. Damn. There was like 69 Dang. people in my gym class. <laughs> <laughs> but do you yeah, think, that's crazy. in your opinion, would you say living in a small town makes you think more outside the box or does it keep you more programmed than living in big cities? Because I feel like living in big cities, they do a good job programming people. Hmm. I mean, I would say it's it, it kind of, I would say it almost falls somewhere in the middle, you know, and that's probably going to depend upon each person and their experience. Uh, you know, I can only speak from my own. Uh, for me, you know, there is quite a bit of, you know, that programming, you know. Um, you know, I've been talking to Slim before, and as I was telling him, you know, I grew up and, and had racist ideas because I was exposed to that, not through my parents, thankfully. Yeah. But through others around me, through my peers at school, uh, through other people in the town. And, you know, I had not had much exposure to people of other races at this point. Um, yeah, because you know, your, your town was... A very small town, as I've said. Yeah, and the town was predominantly white. There was, uh, you know, at the time when I started kindergarten, there were two Hispanic children and one African American. That's it. You know, and that was my exposure <laughs> at that point. Yeah. You know, so an extremely small sample. And, you know, I had all these other people around me influencing me. And, and, you know, so I'm taking these ideas into myself. And it wasn't until I got older, until I reached high school, that I began to, to think more for myself. I began to get engaged in classes that, that made me think and I enjoyed the mental exercise. And from these teachers, I learned to investigate and to explore and to learn. And I moved forward and I did this. And as I did, I started to realize that these ideas I had just, well, they, didn't, they made no sense. You know, they weren't what I was being told, you know, what I, what I thought had been the case, I found to be completely the opposite. Yeah. And, you know, so from that way, you know, somewhat programmed, as you say, but then also, you know, open-minded, but it took me a while to come to that point. Yeah, definitely. Same here. I mean, I was very close-minded for a long time, even in my twenties, like, I don't know. I I mean, as far as like race goes, I was I've always been multi-race because when I was in um in in elementary school, I bounced around from predominantly Hispanic schools to predominantly white schools, and then I went to Cork Kelly, where eighty-five percent of the school was black, African American. Yeah. yeah, and um, GW. GW, I don't know if you've seen the movie, uh, Remember the Titan. You remember the movie, Remember the Titans? There was two schools that were merging to TC Williams, and that was Hammond and GW. Those were two of the schools. Oh, yeah, GW, yeah. 
and GW was like the all black school. That's the school I went to. I mean, they they've um they've definitely um you know property value has gone up in Alexandria, so they've definitely kicked out a lot of like lower income people from around. So like it's it's changed now, but back when we were going to GW, it was oh man, wasn't a lot of white people there. It was mostly blacks and Hispanics. Probably like one percent <coughs> white, to be honest with you, man. No, nah, it was more. It was more than that. But a lot of them went to like private schools. No, I mean during my time, during my time. Because um, in our neighborhood, Sam, uh, we we grew up in Chirilawa, and it was pretty much like lower income, like community, predominantly Hispanic neighborhood. But literally. Up the hill, they actually do call it Beverly Hills. That's where all like the politicians live. That you know that you know that work in like Capitol Hill and all that. There's a private school there. Wow. Um, I mean, it's, it's wow. So you, so you got to see. I mean, completely opposite ends of that whole spectrum. You know. Yeah. I mean, and I find that to be fascinating. That. That to me would be a, a wonderful learning experience, being able to really just see the entire spectrum laid out. But I could also see how that could be, you know, detrimental and have its pitfalls as well. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say that, Sam. That, that's a good way to put it, though. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it, like you. I think you know what, man. If there's something I already learned about, you know, about you is like you, you find a balance in everything. You know what I'm saying? Well, I try to. You know, as, as, yeah, I mean, as they say, all things in moderation, you know. Now, not that I, you know, completely practice that in my life. I'd be lying if I said I, you know, had reached some sort of zen balance. Yeah. But, you know, I do try to find, I do try to find the middle ground. You know, to me, things are not just black and white. There, you know, there's a whole range of gray in between. Yeah, there's definitely always two sides to every story. Exactly. So, yeah, I try to remain in the gray area there where you know and then just try to remain open um i think you know like us living like i wouldn't say the ghetto but it was just a rough neighborhood and like just you could literally just (laughs) cross the street and there's like you know half a million dollar house now back then it was you know five hundred thousand dollar houses now they're over a million dollars you know what i'm saying Yeah, the gentrification here in uh, Northern Virginia is crazy, bro. It's like, it, it really is crazy, yeah. man. They're literally pushing these people out, like, from one year to the next. Like, uh, when I was in sixth grade, my mom paid eight, like, I think 750 or $800 for the rent for a two-bedroom apartment. She still lives in that same neighborhood in the ghetto in some rat cockroach infested building and I I put them out there they they, they got bed bugs Brookside <laughs> Brookside <laughs> <laughs> you know Brookside crack central yeah. back what then it, what, what is it now what is it now though like it's, it's called you know what it's called now it's called the what? new Brookside <laughs> oh my god <laughs> are you serious right now <laughs> yeah it's called the new Brookside yeah, but, but so how much you paying for that two bedroom uh, she's in one bedroom now, and she pays, I believe, fourteen hundred bills included for a one oh, bedroom junior apartment. Yeah, and we're talking about what seven to eight hundred square footage? No, man, we're talking about a uh, about. Let's see, you you know what a double wide trailer oh, yeah, is, right? It's like a short double wide trailer. That's pretty yeah, much what an apartment is. Yeah. Yeah. 
though I will uh, just like to let everybody out there in DC know that I, my house does have a foundation. It did, did not arrive on wheels, and nor was it ever taken off of that. <laughs> he said, "It's not a trailer; it's a modular home." <laughs> no, no, no. This one actually has a real life foundation. <laughs> no, that, that you know that's that's actually what I'm trying to plan out now. Is like I'm trying to live further out DC, and I kind of want to buy land and put a modular home on it. You know, it's a lot easier. You don't want to buy. You don't want to buy no. You don't want to buy no home in VA, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? You need to come buy. You need to come buy some land out here, bro. It's I'm cheap. not moving to Texas, <laughs> man. How many times I gotta yeah, tell not, you? Uh, what I'm gonna so do in Texas? But what I'm gonna do? How? I'm, what? What am I gonna do in Texas? What? What type of work? You are a handyman. Bro. You know. Like, you know. You know what yeah. I'm. If I move to Texas, you know what I'm gonna do for a living. I'm gonna be a coyote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you you, t- you telling me that three thousand dollars for each person I jump over the border? A th- thousand? No what? Let me get ten at a time. <laughs> I don't know, man. I all right. I'm afraid to change. I guess, but I just. Northern Virginia is just where I see my business flourishing, man. I just don't want it to flourish nowhere else because I know here's where the money at. I don't know, man. Home remodeling out here is big, bro. Especially in the area where I live at, Steiner Ranch. These these rich folks out here willing to pay whatever. I believe it, man. And also, what I've learned a lot... It all's on you. Yeah, and what I've learned a lot, though, too, right? And as far as my trade, I... Um, I don't know if he told you, Sam, but I do a lot of remodeling, home remodeling, but I take I take real pride in, like, bathroom remodeling. Like, that's my thing. I love remodeling bathrooms. It's like an art to me. It's not even a job. Like, I will remodel a bathroom for free if I'm, like, having fun doing it. You know what I'm saying? I don't know how to explain it. It's just something that I love doing. No, I, I know exactly what you mean, and and to me, let me let me put that into to my own words: is you're living the dream. Mm. When you get to get paid for doing what you love, and it does not feel like work, you are living the dream. You are big. Yeah, pretty much. I the eighty percent of Americans. Amen. If I had to guess, you know, I got to guess, but I mean, I feel like you're probably doing better. Then about seventy five to eighty percent in that one aspect out there that you're getting paid to do what you love to do. Yeah, I'd probably be even doing better if I lived in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> but even though they're getting paid, let's just say they're getting paid more than you, you got happiness behind behind your payments, you know? They yeah. got stretched. You know, you're happy doing what you're doing, man. So you keep doing what you do, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'd be diving into your wings. Yeah, it's like I'm. I'm thinking about. I'm actually thinking about opening up my own ministry as well, so I can get you know ten percent out of everybody's uh, paychecks. 
Oh, the Lord gonna strike you down, boy. <laughs> you know, but uh, if you ever did want to open oh, up remodeling man. down here in Texas, there is a uh, you know a, a quite a ready labor force. You know, and I, and I don't mean that in any sort of derogatory way. <laughs> Come um, on, man, you don't gotta do that. A, <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, there are. A, I mean, I see these. Guys, I watched these guys build my house, and it was amazing. Yeah, the way these guys just—I mean—they get after it, get it done. Like I don't know where the stereotypical lazy Mexican comes from because I've never seen one. <laughs> you, oh, I, one. <laughs> you just met the working ones. <laughs> I mean, just everybody in general, but you know what I'm saying? Like, not everybody's hard working. <laughs> I'm a hard working Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fat. They be like, "How that fat motherfucker move so fast?" <laughs> but right, yeah, man. man. So, uh, so today we're gonna be talking about Area 51, Bob Lazar, and NASA. And country ass Texas. Yeah, country ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, nah, but, but <laughs> hey, but um. Sam, did you watch that uh, Netflix um, uh, documentary on Bob Lazar? I, I did, yeah. The one produced by uh, Jeremy, you know, directed by Jeremy Cordell and actually produced by George Knott. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, that, you know, that's, um, after I ran across Bob's story, um, you know, I, I quickly found my way there. And, uh, you know, while I don't really care for Cordell's particular filmmaking style, nor do I really care <laughs> for him as a person in general, um, you know, I am grateful that he has he has brought Bob's story back into the light after thirty years. Um, you know, Bob Bob came out in nineteen eighty nine with with a pretty wild tale. Uh he contacted a, a TV reporter in Las Vegas named George Mapp, uh who worked for KLAS T V there in, in Las Vegas, and told him that he had been working on an alien spacecraft. Uh, at a secret government site called S4, uh, about 15 miles south of Area 51. Uh, so, so, you know, um, so George went to work vetting this story. Uh, you know, he was putting his, his professional reputation on the line uh, as a journalist and as a TV anchor. So, you know, he wanted to make sure this guy was at least partially legit before he would even entertain the idea of listening to this story. Um, it was part of this vetting process uh, that kind of got me interested more in Bob's story. You know, I mean, I, I've read a lot of UFO stories over the years, and, you know, 95% of them, to me, are complete fabrications or people with undiagnosed mental illnesses uh, or people just lying, trying to, to get their 15 minutes of fame or try to make a buck off of it. Um, I didn't see any of that in Bob's story and that's what got me excited about it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I just find it very fascinating that everything they, they check if he worked there before it turned out he did. And they lied and said he didn't. And just how everybody came forward saying that they were getting stalked by the FBI and all that. Well, I don't know if it was FBI or another organization, but they were being stalked by somebody being asked questions, getting audited by the IRS and all that stuff. He even got shot at. Bob Lazar? Yeah, yeah he got shot at. Yeah, yeah. yeah he got- <laughs> so, so, yeah, when he first came out and, and began to tell his story uh, to George Knapp, um, you know, he started to get 
pushback from the government on this. You know, when he agreed to work for them, he signed a confidentiality agreement. He signed papers saying he would not talk, saying he would not reveal anything that he worked on there. Uh, and the same when he worked at West Alamo. Um, you know, to, to, to kind of bring it back and kind of start at the beginning, so to speak, uh, you know, Bob was employed at Los Alamos National Laboratory as a physicist. Uh, we're there. He worked on classified projects, nuclear projects. Um, you know, he won't ever, in, in no interview that I've seen, has he ever you know, you know, said for sure that he worked on nuclear weapons, but it just that's sort of the impression that I've got is he was working on something to do with nuclear weapons. My guess would be during the time period, uh, being the early 80s, I would probably guess Reagan's SDI, uh, the Strategic Defense Initiative, uh, aka Star Wars, that's going to be a name a lot of other people are going to know it under, uh, which is basically an orbital anti-missile defense system. Uh, it was going to be a satellite placed into orbit um, they could actually shoot down incoming Soviet ICBM. The project never made it to fruition due to the fact it was it was going to cost too much and be too easily able to be avoided. Uh, basically, if the Soviets wanted to launch 10 or 15 missiles, they could do so and only have one or two of them actually be a live nuclear warhead. Uh, and then the system is going to have to try to pick and choose which ones to shoot down. Uh, and it's not going to have enough time to shoot them all down. So wow. let's just kind of wrap that up and put it in a nutshell. That would be my guess as to maybe something he was working on while out there. But once again, it is just a guess at this point. Yeah, and, and what yeah. was it? Uh, he was trying to um, well figure out Element 115, right? That was part of his job Okay, as well, so right? yeah, um, basically, so yeah, he met Dr. Edward Teller, who was the father of the hydrogen bomb. Uh, and at that point, he applied, uh, he sent a letter directly to Dr. Teller, you know, looking for a job at one of these national laboratories. Uh, which at the time he was, um, I believe Dr. Teller was working at the Livermore Lawrence National Laboratory. But in any case, so yeah, he got this job out there at S4. Uh, while out there, uh, you know, his, he was tasked with uh, examining the propulsion system of the craft, uh, which included a reactor, uh, which the fuel being element 115. So now at the time, there was no element 115 on the periodic chart. Uh, it was... Basically, it was called Ununpentium, which is Latin for 115, and that's simply a placeholder name. It had been theorized that perhaps this element could one day be synthesized, but at that time, it had not been. So it was not on the periodic chart. Uh, now, so but that element 115 was supposed to be the fuel, so that was taken out and examined by Bob Lazar and his lab partner, Barry Castillo, and you know, they put it through a gas chromatograph and a mass spectrometer to kind of determine its makeup, they thought it was an alloy. So basically what this machine does is it vaporizes the sample that's put into it and it analyzes this and, and breaks it down by element, you know, what all of its components are. Uh, so when they broke this one down, um, it showed no known elements and no known alloys, you know, known to humankind. Uh, but it showed one single spike, which was unidentifiable. So that's what tells them that, yes, this indeed is an element, which an element is just something that cannot be broken down into any further components. It is the base element. It's, it's the building blocks of the universe. Yeah. yeah. But is element 115 and from this Earth? No. No. Uh, now, element 115, as Bob was talking about back in the 80s, did not exist on Earth at all to known science. In Until 2013. In 2003, it was first synthesized. It was not published until 2004, 
and then reconfirmed by a completely separate, different laboratory in 2013. Yeah. So in 2003, it was discovered at the nuclear, oh, the joint, uh, hang on, it's called the Joint, joint Institute for Nuclear Research in Dubna, Russia. Uh, confirmed, you know, and then published in 2004, and then it was another lab, and I'm not sure where it was. I want to say either Sweden or Germany, perhaps. Uh, but they they were able to create a few more atoms of this element there. Uh, so that I think to me leads, leads lends a lot of credence to Bob's story. Uh, yeah. The fact that you know he was talking about this, and then now we have you know science has synthesized it. Now they have not been able to make a stable isotope. Uh, now, an isotope basically is just a variation of, a, of an element, of a molecule. You know, for instance, we have hydrogen, H1. So that's hydrogen gas, right? Well, you add a couple of more protons or neutrons to it. Now, I'm not sure which, uh, but basically that's what gives you, by the addition of protons, neutrons, or electrons, you can um, you change an isotope and you make something completely different. Uh, like deuterium, that's another form of hydrogen, but it's a radioactive form, uh, as is tritium. So basically, they've not been able to synthesize a stable isotope of 115 yet. Um, from the stuff that I've read, it looks like they've made four separate isotopes, which the longest one had a half-life of only 220 you know, milliseconds, so that's millionth of a second. Uh, and so it's just super radioactive and just decays you know, as soon as it's created. No. So what Bob claims to be working on with, with a stable form of this. Is that, is that element 115, this, they believe that same element 115 is also what fueled that aircraft that that the navy found a few years ago right remember the aircraft that the navy the navy pilot it just deep dove into the ocean oh, okay um yeah i mean a lot of those uh, craft they do move in the same ways that bob lazar described uh during the, you know his time out there you know he actually saw you know attested the vehicle and he actually did uh, during his time there, gain access to the flight schedule for when they actually did the high performance test. And he was actually able to, you know, he snuck out there, uh, on three separate occasions, uh, to, you know, show people what he was working on. He took his friends out there. He took his wife out there. You know, they videotaped it. Uh, and then he got caught. <laughs> and that was yeah. you know, a big reason yeah. why he came forward. And I'm yeah, sure, the night, the night I'm, I'm sure back then. The <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure back then they didn't have like the same security they got now too. So I'm pretty sure he could have got away with a lot of stuff that he claims he did. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, no, I mean he definitely, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean during that time period, you know, security is nowhere near, you know, as intense as it is now. You know? Yeah. So um, I seen the Joe the Joe Rogan interview as well with uh Bob Lazar, and you know he he pretty much said that the reason. They didn't kill him and they didn't kill a lot of other people that, that, you know, leaked out information about Area 51 and stuff like that. Because back then they could actually make people disappear and like hush everything down. But well, I that's think what you yeah, made videos though. What, what worked? You made videos. Yeah, I mean, you're talking. Yeah, what worked? Yeah, you're talking pre cell phone, pre internet. Yeah. Yeah, they can make you just go away. Yeah, but yeah. what, what, what protected Bob Lazar is that he actually exploded. If yeah. he was going around telling his story and they killed him, then everybody would have known, like, oh, okay, he was telling the truth. And he told the interviewer that. He was like, the only reason I'm doing this is because it's for insurance. But, but Sam, let me ask you a question, though. It's just like, 
after him exposing all this, right? Like, what about his non-disclosure agreement? Where does that come into play? Um, you know, when he was hired out there, basically to gain a security clearance to work for the government, you know, you yeah. have to be extensively background checked. They're going to interview your friends, your family, your previous employers, anybody who's ever known you in your life, because they want to know everything about you to make sure you're a trustworthy, secure person. And so, yeah, I mean, when he got that job out there, he was told up front, you know, you, this is top secret work, and you, know, you need a security clearance to do it. You do not tell anybody. You do not discuss anything that you're working on with anybody except your lab partner and your direct supervisor, a man named Dennis Mariani. And, you know, to tell anybody else, that was a violation and probably, you know, now I'm, I'm going off into speculation again here as well. Uh, yeah. could also probably have him brought up on treason charges. That's what I'm saying. Like, he, he exposed everything, and yet he's still walking around without a charge. I mean, I know... He experienced death. He got shot at. I mean, his wife was in danger. Like, he got raided by the FBI, but there was no charges brought up against him. Well, because if you bring charges against somebody for that, then you just verified their story for them. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, they, everything he said was true. Yeah, they would have. If they would have locked him up, is true because. But no, it's easier to to discredit him to make him look like a crazy guy. Because then yeah, the yeah. problem just kind of goes away for him. Well, it did. You know, yeah, until last year. You know, so that's that's pretty deep. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They did raid his house a few times too. They ain't lock him up or anything, but they raided his house because they they speculate that he does have a piece of Element One Fifteen, right? Yeah, that is it's definitely something that, that's on their radar. You know, now there's no tangible proof of it. Uh, but George has stated publicly that yes, Bob Lazar did indeed get a piece of that element 115, uh, 223 gram piece, uh, that's in the shape of a triangle, copper colored. And, uh, Bob was able to sneak that out of there and, uh, actually get a demonstration for George, uh, where he set this thing up in a cloud chamber. Uh, so basically, just a, a chamber that could be filled with a with a vapor, you know, like a cloud. Uh, he placed a piece of the element 115 in there, bombarded it with a particle from his home particle accelerator. Yes, he built his own particle accelerator at home. Bombarded this thing. And in the test, you know, George says that you see light coming in, you see the light going through the cloud, and then you see the light bend around the piece of the element 115. Uh, and so apparently that's one of its properties is that it, creates its own gravitational field. Okay, so in reading Bob's book, Greenland, um, you know, he, he talks about the first time he walked into the lab with Barry to actually see the reactor, to see the emitters, to see what he was going to be working on. Uh, so Barry fires up the reactor to show him, and Barry pushes his hand towards it and then takes his hand back, and Bob's not impressed. You know, Barry's looking at him like, you know, didn't you see that? Wasn't that cool? And, you know, Bob gives him a puzzled look, and so he says, try to touch it. So Bob tries to touch it. His hand gets to within about eight or nine inches. Uh, and then he said his hand was, he couldn't physically touch it. His hand was repelled backwards. Uh, kind of like if you take the two, you know, if you take two light poles of a magnet and try to push them together, they will repel each other. He said that's basically what it felt like. Uh, so then Barry runs over to a drawer, grabs the golf ball, says, hey, watch this. Pitches it after the reactor with it turned on. You know, golf ball arcs over, hits the gravitational field get shot up into the ceiling. So, you know, this this blew Bob's mind because this goes, this flies against, you know, known physics. This 
should not happen. There, there is no machine that science, you know, that, that human science has ever created that can make gravity. And that's what that machine did, was make gravity. And that's just crazy because they, they put that in Independence Day, man. Like, that, that big ship, the mothership, and they were trying to shoot, but everything was bouncing off. Yeah, and, you know, in that, you know, in theory, if you have a machine that can create a gravitational distortion, you have a workable real-life force field. You know, when you can create enough of a gravitational field to bend space and time, you have a force field. Yeah. Gravity will force anything that's shot at you, clean around you, it'll sling it around you, it'll sling it over you, or just straight repel it. And that's supposedly how these alien spaceships move so fast, is because of that, because they create their own... Like gravitational pull, if I'm correct, yeah. right? So it's like they can they can literally yeah, so, just zoom, 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 zoom. It's not left or right. They can, they can literally go anywhere. Yeah. So to, to put it in perspective, to break it down in, in a way that's kind of a little bit easier to visualize, think of space as the top of your bed, right? Bed's made, sheets are on, comforters on, everything's nice and tight. That's going to be space. Drop a bowling ball into the center of that. So what does that do? That presses everything down, and now you've got a, a you've got a depression there. Yeah. So that represents gravity. Now the only way that we know how to make gravity is to put a whole lot of mass together. You know, that's the only thing that we know that can create gravity is just putting a whole lot of mass together. You know, on the scale of a planet of a moon to actually create a gravitational field. Yeah, it's like creating so that, your own time ball, too. Yeah, space and time are the same thing. They're one. They're interconnected. If they go ahead and um. You know, say they use that to go very fast and forward and they create their own gravitational pull, right? They can technically, if they go at a certain speed, I forgot how many speed it is, but it's like, forgot the name of it. But uh, you can, at light speed, you can travel into the future. Thing. Pretty much you can slow time down, right? Yeah, the faster you go, and then we're talking relativistic speed, so light speed. You know, at light speed, time goes weird things. It starts to break down. Physics, as we know them, starts to break down at those kinds of speeds. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they're literally, you know, a lot of people don't realize that we have time travelers right now. There are astronauts flying in the International Space Station. Uh, now, are they, you know, they're not years or days or, or hours or even minutes into the future. They're, they're less than a second into the future. But because of orbiting the Earth at 17,500 miles per hour, they have gone a fraction of a second into the future. Our GPS satellites, the ones that update the time on your phone, are corrected for this because they orbit the Earth. There's a computer algorithm in there that edits for that, corrects that time, and then shoots it down to your phone. So that you have the correct time. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. And I be questioning that shit, man. How in the hell am I talking to you guys all the way in Texas? And we're just a fraction of a second, like, you know, apart from each yeah, other. We actually, we actually, yeah, we're actually an hour. So you're ahead. You're in the future. Yeah, I'm in the future. <laughs> yeah, we're an hour behind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But uh, that's a, that's a, to, come, to bring it back to bring it back to, to my, my my gravitational explanation to break this down for people. So you know you got the bowling ball making the depression in the center of that. Now that's what's called a gravitational well. So what happens okay. if you set a golf ball on the edge of that depression and you let it go? It's going to go inward. That's what this ship does. It creates its own bend in space time, 
and it just falls. It just falls. That explains why the gods live for millions of years because there's really no such thing as time. You can make your own time. You can go into the future. We we don't have that capability. That's probably why we die so fast. Or am I retarded? Mm-hmm. He retarded. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that didn't make any sense to me. But all right, so check this out. Let me let me go deeper. Let me let me let me let me explain it. <laughs> <laughs> or did I just have a high moment? <laughs> oh my god! I don't know what the hell that was? Nah, I know I'm not tripping. I'm not tripping. Just, just hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> so when you travel in space, there's no such thing as time. Okay. If you're going at uh, the time speed still of applies. I mean, time. Think, think of time as a fourth dimension. So we live in a three-dimensional world, right? We've got yeah. length, we've got width, we've got height. The fourth dimension is time. It does indicate a position in space. That's why, you know, a lot of physicists, scientists, everyone now, they refer to it as space-time because it, it's one and the same. To move in time is to move in space. Yeah. You know, time is something we created as well, though. Yeah, time is something we created as well, like a barrier. You know, it's just like always, like always putting ourselves to a limit. We always limiting ourselves, and I mean, I would say we measure. I would say we measure time. I wouldn't say we it's something we necessarily created. I would say it's something we measure, we observe, we, we govern our day by it. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, through our cycles. I mean, like I said, that's you know my opinion, but that's that's how I perceive it. Yeah. So to put it in that that fourth dimensional perspective, so you've got length, width, height. And those are your three dimensions. So you can be at a place. So say I set an appointment for you. Okay, you need to be in, you know, Austin, Texas at such and such address, you know, on, on Rainy Street, wherever. And so, okay, so there's, there's your three dimensions. You know, where you need to be, you know, the address for that one person, you know, that's, there's your two coordinates. There's no link. There's, yeah. It, right. it still doesn't give you all the information you need to get there. And then, okay, so say you need to be at this address, this street, this building on the fourth floor. Okay, so now you know where you need to be. And, and space, but without the time, without that other dimension, without that coordinate being given to you, you can't make it there. Yeah. To the destination. Yeah, you need right. all four of those. You need all four of those coordinates to navigate space and time to get to where you're going. And would you say a perfect yeah, explanation right. for that would be that movie Interstellar? That was a good movie. Mm. Yeah, I mean that. I mean that's how you have to think of it. If you're going to start traveling, you know, outside of the solar system, I mean, this universe is so large, such. I mean, scales distances we can't imagine. You know, there's no way our nearest star is 4.4 light years away, Alpha Centauri. At the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would still take us four years one way to get there. And with the current technology we have now, our fastest ship, it would take us 40,000 years to reach that. Damn. 40,000 years. And that's at 36,000 miles an hour. So we'll never even Damn. get to the bottom of the truth, huh? No, we just got to build it. Not not unless we develop faster than light travel. Yeah. And that is not going to be in our lifetime. Now, you, know, you know, I know I know how to get to that nearest planet. I figured it out. All you got to take is a DMT drop. Smoke some DMT. 
and you'll travel to another I'm gonna dimension. I'm going to say it's all in the mind. I'm going to say it's all in the mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get my hands on it one but, day. Uh, I know, but uh, one thing uh, Sam and I were talking about, Soto, what really fascinated me about this whole Bob Lazar, like, apart from him being all, like, paranoid every time he talks about this stuff, um, man, that, that, that spacecraft, it, it had no wiring, no bolts. No, nothing. No, nothing. Like, nothing. It was all, like, one component. It was weird. It was probably, like, one big-ass yeah, LED screen or something. But, like, you know, like, their version of it. <laughs> well, I mean, basically, the way, the way Bob described it, you know, he, he was never sure if it was a metal or a ceramic. Uh, you know, he wanted to lean towards the palace, he said, because it was cold to the touch. The one time he was actually allowed to examine a complete impact crash, uh, that's the way he described it. He, but he said, you know, it looked as if it were injection molded. Now, that, that was the, the closest technology of the time he could compare it to. In later interviews, he's now compared it to 3D printing. So basically something that is made as one piece, uh, you know, no seams, no joints, no bolts, no rivets, no fasteners of any kind that he could, he could discern. The thing appeared to be all one piece. The way the reactor works, uh, you know, when Barry showed him in the lab, you took off, you removed the top of the hemisphere. This thing was about the size of a toaster oven. You removed, yeah. so it had a hemisphere on top, so it's basically this spherical. So you remove that hemisphere. You place a piece of the element 115 inside, place that other hemisphere back over the top, and that powers up, that powers up the reactor. No switches, no buttons, no plugs. That you was just crazy. Put thing on there and it, and it turns on. And he said the, what was it, a uh, chest high or something like three feet high, uh, like, Oh yeah, yeah. When the interior of the craft, when he described the interior of the craft, it was it was bi-level. So it had a lower section where the gravity amplifiers and emitters were. It had an upper section, which is where he presumed pilots would have sat. Now this it was completely barren. This room completely open, no right angles, no adornments of any kind that, that we would perceive. No screens, no keyboards, uh, just two seats. He said it looked like they were designed for somebody about half the size of a grown man, so somewhere in that three and a half to four foot range. Um, the, the reactor sat the reactor sat in the middle between the seats, but that was all that was there. You know, he was you know allowed to see this um, to see where the reactor sat in relation to everything else, uh, but obviously you know he was never allowed to power this thing up or anything like that. So. You know, if there were any types of screens or anything like that, he never saw them, you know, according to his story. You know who we really, really, really need to talk to, though? Who? It's Barry. Yeah, you know, um, and at one point, Bob even thought Barry might come forward. However, after kind of seeing everything that Bob went through, all the hassle in his life, um, you know, where... Barry was his buddy, right, that worked at S4 with him? Yeah. Barry was his lab partner, yes. Um... You know, Barry was a scientist that had been there for some time. Bob doesn't know. Barry wouldn't tell him. Um, well, not that he wouldn't tell him. Barry just told him that he, was, he wasn't sure if he was allowed to tell him. Uh, yeah. You know, due to the, the security that these guys had going on there. Uh, but at one point, yeah, Bob thought he, you know, thought that Barry might come forward after he did. But, yeah, once he saw the backlash that Bob got from it. Yeah, he then like, he, the hell uh, with that. You know, yeah, he decided to go ahead and keep his... Yeah, exactly. He wanted to keep his mouth shut, you know, rather than, than 
face all that, which, you know, I can't blame the guy for. Uh, and who knows? I mean, you know, that, you know, if it were me out there, I, I think I would want to keep working on that, you know, to, to be able to do something like that. I mean, it's, you know, out of this world, I mean, that would hold my fascination like no other. Yeah, we all know that Bob Lazar, like, he regrets doing that. You know, it's like you could tell in his voice, like he really wants to just keep on working on that. He didn't even like, want to do the Joe Rogan yeah. show. Yeah, he didn't. If it wasn't for that <laughs> that dumb dude, man, what's his name? Jeremy Corbell. Yeah, Jeremy Corbell. Yeah, that guy. What, what what's up with him? I don't like that dude, man. He's the one that made the movie, the the UFO Bob Lazar and the UFO in Area Fifty One. Yeah, the yeah the the Netflix documentary. So you saw the Joe Rogan and the one who was yeah the the guy who was on. Joe Rogan with Bob Lazar—that's Jeremy Cornell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like Joe Rogan will say something, and he will answer with a whole different, like off-field, left-field type yeah. of like stuff. <laughs> I think Bob Lazar just needed some money or something. I don't know because I, I doubt no, he would voluntarily no. do, do like no, no. Bob, La, Bob Lazar, bro. He even said it there. He was like, "Look, I'm not even doing this for money." And the Joe Rogan show, he was like, I didn't even have you pay for for the, the flight, you know. And he was like, I pay out of my own money. I don't need anything from this. Yeah. He was just saying, hey, he wants to escape that. Yeah, Joe Rogan didn't deny it. You know, I feel like if he was lying right then and there, Joe Rogan would have called him out. No, no. Like, he did, I did he, pay he for did, your plane he, ticket. No, he did say, though, uh, after that following statement, Joe Rogan did say we we donated to a local science uh, school. Yeah. So well, that was uh, that was when the, when the movie first came out, when the documentary first came out. It was a, a screening done where it raised a few thousand dollars. But yeah, Bob insisted that that money no. be donated to a yeah, local school science yeah. program. Yeah, yeah. Bob Bob Lazar said that after, but Joe Rogan said that they donated that money, that plane ticket money to to the local uh, school, a science academy or something like that. And I was just like, oh, oh even better. So, yeah, so he even was better. like, yeah, so he he basically was, he he didn't call him out or anything. He was telling the truth. And that's what I'm saying. Like, Bob Lazar, when you talk to him, it's like I was, I was telling you, Sam, it's just like every time, like, a serious question came up, you know, it's just like, he was just like, ah, I got migraines. And you know it was just like <laughs> yeah. cold. If I answer this question, I'm I gonna get killed. I'm gonna get killed. You know, it's just like. And then you hear somebody deep in the background. You really let's give him another shot. Like, <laughs> like I was like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> just trying to get this man drunk. Give him another shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like give him another shot. But yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, it's funny and all, but I mean, seriously, though, I mean, then. The, the hell that this man has been put through for the last 30 years of his life, being constantly monitored, threatened, followed, the attempts made on his life, you know, his, his <laughs> friends and, and family harassed, you know, I mean, even yeah, the, I even think the first, anybody a nervous wreck. Well, even the first wife, what with, with, with you told me about, you know, how she uh, she killed herself, uh, well, not killed herself, she died, well, what was it, cancer? Uh, well, she actually she had pancreatic cancer. Now this was this was prior to Bob going to work out there at S four. Um, oh, it's prior. But yeah, his first his yeah his first wife. Um, you know, basically, you know, she had been she had gotten a pancreatic cancer diagnosis, 
which she hid from Bob. You know, she she didn't want to let him know that she was sick. Uh, yeah. You know, he kind of had figured it out on his own, you know, once he really started to, you know, deteriorate and look bad. I mean, you know, cancer doesn't face its soul. Um, but, yeah, rather than, you know, seek help. Now, you know, I imagine during that time during the 1980s, uh, cancer treatment was probably nowhere near what it is today uh, in terms of what they can do. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, what she did was, yeah, she committed suicide. She she locked herself in the car in the garage and, you know, asphyxiated herself. Carbon monoxide poisoning. Still, that's another burden to Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that, that, you know, as a husband myself, that, that's, a, that's a burden I would, I you know, I pray to never bear. Yeah, that's crazy. Do, uh, do you think she did it or maybe the government did it? This is before. Oh, yeah, okay. this was before. Yeah, yeah, this was beforehand. So, you know, basically reading, you know, Bob's autobiography, you know, he's, you know, telling his life story, you know. So it's, it, you know, before, you know, the whole, you know, um, Area 51 and flying saucers, you know, his life before that and, you know, presumably his life after that as well. You know, I've not actually not, you know, completed the book to be 100% honest with everybody. Yeah. But, uh, you know, what I've read so far, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated, you know. Uh, what really drew me into Bob's story is the man seems believable to me. You know, as part of this vetting process, George Knapp put him through four separate polygraph tests, you know, the lie detector test. Now, back then it carried a lot more weight than it does now. You know, it's no longer admissible in court. You know, uh, we all know that they are beatable. Uh, basically, the only thing that it really proves is that what that person is telling you, they believe. It doesn't have to be the truth. They just have to believe it. Yeah. So but, you know, it's one more, yeah, it's one more thing in, but it's one more thing in his favor, you know, the way that I see it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's just one more thing that, that lends that credibility to him. You know, he doesn't seem to be crazy or delusional. Uh, you know, as far as, you know, when you see in the documentary kind of the way his, his life is, the, the business and stuff that he does now, prior to that, he ran a photo processing business out of his house uh, before he went to work for the government. Um, yeah, that jet Did you know about that? Yeah, he, 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 put a, he put a jet engine into a, a 1980s Honda Civic. You know, the gas engine still worked, so he could drive it around on that, but it could, you know, you could also turn on the jet engine. And, they say he had the loudest, was, they, know, said, they said when he was going to work at uh, Alamos, he had the loudest, they can hear him 10 miles away coming in to yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. He had a oh, yeah. power engine in there, bro. Like, that's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah, he also built a, he also built another bigger one, a jet-powered rail dragster, you know, just a straight-up drag car. Before that, before that, remember when, when he was a team, he built that jet engine, uh, I mean, well, jet-powered bike. Remember that? When his yeah, was yeah, yeah, yep. that was Oh, crazy. yeah, in the picture of him, yeah. Oh yeah, no. I mean, it, a she guy that like he's did, gonna grow up and enjoyed life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he's yeah, just very gifted, crazy. man. He's gifted, man. But that's what Sam and I were talking about. It's like the government knew who to choose, like that. This dude was weird to the uh, to to the common world. You know, or is it? Yeah, he's, he's not what you think of when you think of a scientist. You know, he's more of what I think of when I think of a mad scientist. You know, a guy who's doing this fringe stuff that's on the edge, that's just risk-taking, that's, you know, a little bit on the crazy side, but probably one whole hell of a lot of fun. 
Yeah. And, you know, I kind of think that's maybe why he was chosen. That's kind of why he feels like he was chosen. You know, Bob himself will say, you know, I, I know I'm not the most qualified person to work on this. Team. I'm not a field theorist. You know, I'm not a particle physicist. You know, these guys would be way more qualified to work on this stuff than me. He goes, the only reason I think they picked me is because I think differently. I think outside the box. I think they wanted a fresh perspective. But do you think Sam, um, uh, he, he came out because of his insecurity? Like he felt either he was too smart to realize, yo, these people are using me that just for a decoy, you know, or... Or is it his insecurity that killed him? Hey, man, there's somebody smarter out there than me that can figure this out, and I'm going to expose him. Uh, you know, you know, I don't know Bob personally. I've never spoken to the man to really be able to try to judge his, his state of mind. My guess would be it's really more just more just. I would say it's more practicality from what I see from my standpoint. Bob seems like a straightforward. He, he's a science guy. Yeah. So, you know, to me, a science guy, they believe what they can see, feel, touch, taste, hear, what they can test and observe. And I don't think he looks at it as a plus or a minus. I think he just looks at it as a fact. Like, yes, yeah, there are people who are more qualified. Didn't say they were better or smarter. Just said more qualified. You know, guys who specialize with their fields, you know, what, what they specialize in would be more suited to this task than his. You know, his, his degrees were in, in electronics and in well, obviously they weren't hiring yeah, super smart guys because remember the guy before him there blew himself up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but I once again, you know, in these, you know, to kind of jump to these guys' defense a little bit, being a science fan, you know, they're dealing with something that they've never seen before, have no clue how this thing works. The only thing they can do is test, observe, and try to figure it out. Now, you know, in the book, and then Bob, Bob states this in the book, you know, if they were taking some risks like trying to cut this thing open while it was turned on, then they kind of got what they deserved. You know, he says, yeah. that is, that's just stupid. If you were trying to cut into this thing while it's on. <laughs> yeah, so that's stupid. This, what he described as an, as an antimatter reactor. Now, you know, it's like, oh, the antimatter reactor, that's that sci-fi. And was it, sci-fi. they now, said it was, was a and, and I forgot exactly what, how it went, but supposedly when that guy cut into that um while it was on to that um what was it a reactor or something yeah it was an unplanned explosion supposedly it was like an atom bomb or something yeah and it, it was you know allegedly written off as an as an unplanned nuclear test yeah, that's Damn. crazy. Uh, that's so how big the explosion yeah, was. You're, huh? you're cutting, you're, you're cutting into a reactor. So, okay. So to explain antimatter, antimatter is the exact opposite of matter. So what happens when antimatter meets regular matter is 100% annihilation. So each is completely destroyed and every bit of energy is released. But that's what Saturn wanted. So this, I mean, CERN, that's what CERN wanted to do, right? I mean, I know it's completely well, yeah, I mean, it's, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just smashing matter at the same time. Yeah, I mean, well, they've actually been able to create small, I mean, and I'm talking, when I talk about small amounts, I mean a few atoms yeah. of antimatter. To produce a gram, to produce a gram of antimatter would, would cost trillions. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to store it in an electromagnetic field because if it touches anything that, that matters, it annihilates. Yeah. It's extremely hard to store, but anyway, it, it is the most efficient power source 
if you can master it. Yeah. That is, I mean, that's it. That's, you cannot get anything more powerful. That's 100% annihilation and 100% energy returning. You know, nuclear reactions are not 100% efficient. Chemical reactions are not 100% efficient. There's always some energy loss in the form of heat. Yeah. With antimatter, you don't have that. You have 100% annihilation, 100% complete energy absorption in you. That's crazy. So, when you think on that scale, cut into something like that that's packing that kind of power, yeah, you're going to blow up. And he probably knew he was going to blow up, man. Huh? I said he he knew he was going to kill himself, man. That was suicide. That that had to be suicide. No, I mean, now that you you put it that way, it's just like, it had to be suicide. He's a scientist. Or, or it, it, it takes chemistry involved with that. It's like you make two things. You know what's got the outcome is going to be. They're not that stupid. Maybe it drove but, him crazy that he couldn't figure this thing out. So he was like, fuck it. I'm going to just cut into it and see what yeah, happens. Yeah. And it's just like Barry. Barry couldn't even tell uh, Bob Lazar how long he's been there, you know, trying to figure well, this out. Not, well, not that he couldn't tell him. What he said was, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you. I, mean, I know the answer. I know how long I've been here. I just don't know how long yeah, I've been but he didn't tell him, though. That's, that's the thing, you know. It's just like, man, you, <laughs> for all he knows, it was just like, Bob, you're probably my seventh partner, you know, in the last week. You know, it's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, the impression... The impression that Bob got was that Barry had been there for a while. Yeah. You know, that, that was, you know, his words. So, you know, my guess would be a few years. Uh, and you know, how long ago this accident was. He might have had a lot of credit, though, because it's like for a guy to be there that long and still haven't figured anything out, you know, that's, that tells you a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, to me, that tells me that that technology is that far advanced beyond anything we've got yeah. available, you know, anything that we know, understand. You know, I love the example that Bob gave of, of taking a small portable nuclear reactor and dropping it off back in Victorian times. Do you think fly that spaceship? No. Oh, well, yeah, hell yeah. It's the same that I thought yeah. about it, man. No, I was just like, uh, aliens you see nowadays is us test driving that thing. I believe so, too. You know, I think that's you know, what Russia. Story, he talks about the low performance. I think that's what the United States of Russia is is um is doing. You know how the you know how the U.S. and Russia had like the race to the moon or the race to the space. Yeah, that's where NASA was in. There. Oh yeah, I think oh, yeah, this latest race. Cold War was the race to figure out how to fly these goddamn spaceships. Uh, I don't think they have one. I, I believe me, I'm pretty you, sure Russia got Russia? some. Hell yeah. I would be I would be surprised if they I wouldn't be surprised if the Russians didn't have it. I would be surprised if they didn't have one. Just because they kept up with us technologically. They have kept up with us technologically every step of the way. They have kept up with us. That that that's true. That is true. Or maybe they're just smart enough. But I, I tell you this, uh, you know, I, I tell you this, during World War II, what did the U.S. and the Russians do, man? They, they raced and got as many Nazi scientists as they could. Operation Paperclip. Yeah, they wanted, they wanted the B-2. They wanted the B-2. Yeah, and we that got was the first. That was the, the first intercontinental ballistic missile. The that what? was the super weapon. The first, inter, you know, the, the precursor to 
an intercontinental ballistic missile. Yeah. So what makes an ICBM so badass is you shoot this thing far up, suborbital flight. You're taking this thing beyond 100,000 feet up, and it's coming down. So gravity is now propelling it. So this thing is coming in so fast that by the time radar sees it, it's already on you. There's nothing you can do. That's crazy. That's what crazy made about that weapon it. so devastating. You could not shoot that thing down. Here's the that, unique it thing. It was about, a super weapon. That's why they. That's why everybody wanted it. Here, here's the the unique thing about gravity, man. It's like you could observe gravity, but you can't make it. And that's I think science that was, doesn't that, even that know what gravity is. That was Bob. Yeah, that was Bob's uh, like problem. He couldn't figure it out because you can't. You can't make gravity, or we haven't got there yet. But I think we're there. To, uh, no, 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 hell no. But in 2020, the, in 2020, right now, science does not know what creates or makes gravity, other than putting a lot yeah. of mass together. We can observe gravity. In 2015, we detected the first gravitational waves of two neutron stars colliding with the LIGO, you know, the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory. Yeah, <laughs> you lost me there. The LIGO facility. <laughs> Oh, so, okay, LIGO is the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory, LIGO. Mm-hmm. So that, that's what that acronym is. Yeah. So that's a machine that was built to detect gravitational waves. And in 2015, they did observe them Yeah. in September. And so that proved Einstein's theory. Einstein uh, postulated in 1916 Russia, that gravity like was that. a wave. Yeah, yeah, it was. Okay. A wave. He put forth yeah. this idea that gravity is a wave, so now that's been proven. Bobble spoke about gravity in a wave. The two popular theories at the time were that gravity is either a wave or it's a particle called a graviton. Bob said it's a wave because he describes how this craft works. So it's antimatter reactor powered up these gravity amplifiers and emitters, which produce a, a, an intense gravitational wave. You know, just by the by virtue of how the craft moved, then. You know, he knew it was a wave, not a particle. And now that's been proven true. So gives a little more credibility to his story, though, to be completely fair and play devil's advocate, it was a 50-50 shot. Especially because you it know, was after in the 80s. To a story, I, yeah. And, you know, the, the bigger ones are definitely, to me, the element 115, as well as, you know, just the stuff he said and then it being proven true. You know, Los Alamos said Bob never worked there. George Knapp proved that Rob did indeed work there. Uh, you know, he found that phone directory from 1982 from Los Alamos that had listed Robert Lazar in his extension. You know, though he was told by Los Alamos that Robert Lazar never worked there. You know, he was in that 1982 newspaper article in the Alamogordi Daily News where, you know, he was, his jet car was featured. And, you know, it was in the article he was described, this is, you know, the car of Bob Lazar, a physicist at Los Alamos. Uh, Bob took George Knapp to Los Alamos on a tour. He drove up to the front gate. He waved. The security guard waved to Bob, let him in. Bob took George all around, showed him the different buildings, introduced him to people, and just gave him a tour of the place. So... During the 80s, there's no internet, so it's not like you can pull up, you know, a plan of this place and, and get a, you know, get a 3D tour. You know, there's no way back then that he could have known how to get around them inside that place unless he had been there before. You know, cause that gives a lot of credibility to this story as well in my book. Yeah, I think we can all agree that we believe Bob. <laughs> I think we could all agree, and I'm pretty sure oh, that... Yeah. 
there's more I'm, I'm, there's more believers than speculators. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, and you know I'm not here to try to convince anybody of anything. Yeah, the it's only like, thing I want to do is, is I'm done, bro. Bring this story to light, and then I'm I'm done trying to convince people. people. To, you know, the best you can the best you can hope to do is persuade somebody who's on the fence. Yeah, you know the the people who who are con- who have their minds made up that this is not true. I'm not going to convince them, and I don't care to. You know, they can believe what they want to believe. This is a free country. That's what makes it so good. <laughs> I wish yeah. I, I wish I had a button that went. Make America great again. Yeah, America. America. Let's talk about what. Let's talk about Area 51. You know, this is before a little bit before Bob Lazar. Tell me what you, what I know about it, and uh, your perspectives about it. I've been fascinated with okay, Area Fifty One so. ever since I was like eight, seven or eight years old, watching the History Channel. <laughs> and it all started with that. Um, I was fascinated with that plane that looks like a triangle. I believe oh, yeah. it's like the first stealth, the first stealth uh, plane. Yeah, fighter the jet. Yeah, that uh huh, yep. Yeah, the B two self bomber. It all started there in Area Fifty One. That's where they tested it. That's where they said that it was a top secret, and then you know people were out they there never taking said pictures. They, they, yeah, the uh, people were saying it was top secret. They never said it until what was it, two thousand thirteen? They came out with it. They they acknowledged that they uh, released uh, declassified CIA reports. That Area 51 does exist. To my knowledge, they still won't actually admit that it does exist. Um, you know, from what I've gathered from reports through George Matt, uh, is that, you know, back on maps in the 1950s and 60s, Area 51 was listed. It was just another government site out there on the Nevada test site, uh, you know, where they tested all the nuclear weapons. Uh, this is just an area out there. Um, now, it was, you know, uh, like Pearl was saying, that was being used to develop top-secret military aircraft. The B-2 was developed there. Um, the A-12, which is the precursor to the SR-71 Blackbird, both of those were, were designed and, and, you know, test flown and stuff out there. Uh, as well as the, um, oh, I forget the rest of the designation. It was a YF. It was, in a, it was a fighter version of the SR-71. So it was a single, single pilot setup, not rather than two like the SR-71. Uh, but yeah, like, like you were saying, the DC, yeah, that was definitely developed out there. And there's an interesting story behind that. Um, you know, I would encourage anybody listening to look into a, band, a man named Bill Uhouse, and that's U-H-O-U-S-E. Uh, you know, he, he's got a story. He was a military test pilot. He was a mechanical engineer that did work out, uh, at Area 51. He did work on the DC. And in his, his story is that, you know, that self technology was developed from a recovered, uh, crash spacecraft um, picked up in Kingman, Arizona in 1958. So and pretty much they just reverse engineered. Yes, and that's where we learned self-technology, according to him. Yeah, because I don't know that's if great. you recall, like Star Trek, they had like flip phones back in the day, back in the 70s or whatever when they filmed that shit. <laughs> yeah. Science fiction becomes science fact as science catches up. I, so does movies inspire them to do what they see, or... They already have it and then just produce it. The people that make. Later. Remember when I told you 
last week I said I feel like when we were talking about the Anunnaki, we, I told you I feel that the elite know the truth. Oh, and of course. The elite are the ones that make these Hollywood films, bro. <laughs> of course they yeah, know. They have control. I, I was just telling Sam like that they have control over Hollywood today, man. I was just like, there was this movie that was supposed to come out about the Masons and explaining the whole Illuminati thing. And then all of a sudden, before the film is released, the, the director gets killed. You know, the movie never comes out. And honestly, he died in... Nobody know how he died, so it's just like it's crazy. But you're right. So going back to this, uh, <laughs> boy, <laughs> man, you lucky that button is not on my end. <laughs> I, I should have. When Sam goes on, when Sam be explaining stuff, I'll be, I'll be trying. You know, there's a delay in the in the phone call. I'm gonna have to edit the shit out of it, but. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> But yeah, hey Sam but, um, I got a question for you. What what do you uh, do for a living? Well uh, I work with Sam. Um basically just work on cars, man. I don't take mission. Why the hell ain't you a rocket science? You're smart as shit, man. <laughs> or do you just have the ability to retain information? Uh, I, mean, it, I do I, I do have a good memory. I've always had that ability to retain to retain information, especially if it's something that I find fascinating or interesting to me. Then yeah, it, it doesn't take me long to absorb that to absorb that material, and I'm able to recall it fairly readily. Uh, yeah, as for why I'm not a rocket scientist, um, yeah, science is fascinating to me. Uh, math though kicks my ass. <laughs> I never. <laughs> I'm a math genius. I can estimate anything. Mm, I can just look at a room yeah, and know I can how much square math, footage. You know, I mean, or is that? Yeah, I mean, I can add, subtract, multiply, and divide. I can count the trains in my pocket. Uh, but, you know, don't ask me to do much more than that. <laughs> I can't. Hey, you know what's funny? I shouldn't even say this because I'm going to get made fun of. But uh, You can't spell? I do remodeling and I can't read a tape measure. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Aside from I can't spell, I can't read a tape measure to save my he life. Can't, uh, he can't spell to save his life, man. When I write proposals <laughs> up for work, when I ha- when I have to write proposals up for work, it takes me like two hours because I gotta like read proof and all this shit. <laughs> and and I and I write how I talk, so sometimes I'd be like, I won't I won't sound professional at all, and I'd be like, oh shit, I gotta change this. I'd be like, what up, man? Like, no, for real. Okay, Sam. I work in a lot of fancy houses. A lot of... And and mind you, I'm a bald head guy with a beard and a bunch of tattoos. Right? And I look mean as hell. I'm not mean as hell, though. But these people open the door and just be like... And I have to, like... I have to, like, you know, like, be more outgoing and stuff. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, but I mean, that's... That to me is a good thing because you get to change people's perception. You know, it's, it's funny. I think when when you see one thing and then you're given another. When you when you see one thing and you form that quick judgment, but then you're given another. To me, that's interesting as hell to me. Yeah, you know, I love talking to guys like that. You know, that they have a brain in their head. That you know, when you look at these guys, you don't think of them as a thinker, as a, as a guy who has ideas who thinks about abstract things. 
It's like, okay, why do we focus? Why do we always have to focus on all the negative shit to like, all right. So just, just for instance, like, I'm entertaining just, for people. I'm a call. No, I'm a call myself an atheist, even though I'm not an atheist. Right. And slim is like Christian Christian as fuck. Right. As hell. Oh, God damn, not as hell, but, ah, oh, damn. Why I gotta say God damn when I'm talking about Christianity? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so damn disrespectful. Let's say he's very strong in his faith. Yeah, that's what Let's I'm trying say to say. He's very strong in his faith and very happy. And, and you're, and you, exactly, and you are from like a small town in Texas that's never lived in a big city before, right? And we all think that's differently. Right. We all have individual beliefs. I don't know what you believe. I know what I believe in. He's a Christian, but we all come together on Bob Lazar. If we can focus more on the things that we have in common instead of what we don't, I think we can make a world a better place. There are ways that never been spoken. (laughs) No, I believe that 110%. You know, and it it was funny. Reagan said this in the 80s, you know, and this is something that a lot of these UFO conspiracy theorists guys will throw out there and, yeah, I'm, I'm not one of those. You know, I, I don't believe everything that I see. I think of a lot of it is people reaching, grasping for straws. You know, that may throw some people off, but, you know, that's, that's my thought, my belief on it. That's the truth. Uh, but, you know, he, he made comments, uh, when talking to Vladimir Putin, uh, of course, you know, during the height of the Cold War, and he said, wouldn't it be interesting, you know, if we were to face a threat from outside of this world, how rapidly all of our differences here on Earth would disappear, and we would come together as one to fight this outside threat. That's crazy, but it was I, think true that, though. I think that just sums up what you, I think that just sums up what you were saying. Is but, yes, we who just said that? Realize that the differences we have are Ronald Reagan. Oh, okay. That's, that's deep. That was deep. It, it was true though. It was true what he said though. You think that that's we right? Right? Now, it, it, it sums it up that yeah. If we could just get killed. past all of our petty differences and realize that our differences are petty, then yeah, I think the world would be a much better, happier place. And I think that's where, like, we're going going back to where, like, Toto was saying, it's just like, you know, when you mention Christianity and, you know, falling and, like, believing in what Bob Lazar is saying, it's like, like you and I know, Sam, there's a, there's a lot of Christians that they believe that if there's aliens, then then they have to question their faith. And and that's wrong. You know, it's just, I, I think that God is a higher power. You know, it's just like, he's the God of the universe. Just because they're aliens doesn't mean that they have to question their faith. I hear 100% on that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I agree 100% with that. You know, um, you know, and I, I can't say, you know, yes, I was raised in the Christian faith. I can't say that I actively practice. Um, you know, what, what, you know, as far as my thoughts are, I can't prove God does exist and I can't prove that he doesn't exist. So in my mind, there's a possibility. And when I look at the universe, what I, you know, when I look at the universe, what I see is this huge expanse. You know, there's, there's something that came from nothing that now is and has been for a very long time. And then, you know, if you, prescribed to what modern science says should continue for a whole lot longer, something had to set that off, you know. Say the Big Bang Theory is right, and that's what did start the universe. There's just this one intensely dense point of heat that exploded and created this universe. 
what created that intense point? What started that? What kicked that off? What set that into motion? The Anunnaki. I have to believe that something set that into motion. Do you believe um, in that, Sam? Do, do you believe in that, Sam? The the whole evolution theory? The theory of evolution? Yeah. I, you know, and I don't think that that precludes God. I don't think that even if that theory is 100% true, I don't think that doesn't leave room for God. But what if, like I what told, I think is that, what if, like I told Slim, what if evolution was manipulated by an outside source? Could very well be. And that could prove it's evolution. You know, that is a possibility. Hmm. Yep. But I, I, I also think that even with the theory of evolution, even with, um, you know, the Big Bang theory, you know, for the creation of the universe, I still think that leaves room for faith, and I still think that leaves room for God. He's, he's not, you know, who's to say that he didn't set all of that into motion? You know, in the Bible, the story that we're given is that the earth is created within uh, seven days. Now, stop me here if I'm wrong, Slim, because I may mess up on this. <laughs> that was seven days in, in, in God's time, right? Or is six that like days, seven days six, a week? Six, six, okay. days, six days, and he rested on the seventh foot. But he doesn't live in time. So, like, like they say, thousand year on Earth is like one day for him. So, so who's not to say? Okay, so the Big Bang Theory says the universe was created exactly thirteen point eight billion years ago. That is what they say. Roughly, yeah, yeah, roughly, yeah. So who's not to say that wasn't day one? You know, in in God's time, in God's time, yeah. I I don't argue that. I don't argue that at all. But so yeah, I mean, like I said, with but, those, my own thoughts is yeah, I feel like there's room for all of that to fit. But for come to come out like what, what do you say? They started as a tadpole, or it became a fish, and then the fish started Bro, grunt, uh, walking on, on ground, like stuff like that, stuff like that. No, I'm just I'm just throwing an example. <laughs> that's where I was getting at. It's just like, do you believe that theory? Like, no, I don't believe that evolution. No, I, I don't. I don't like that we come from bacteria and this and this and that. Nah. All yeah. That. Nah, I don't believe in that. What about you, Sam? Oh, honestly, I'd have to say yes. Um, you know, I, I like science. So, you know, what I've seen and now, now the evidence that backs this up is, is DNA. So, right? DNA is the basic building block of every living organism on this planet. Yeah. We share common, you know, now I'm going to have to go back because these figures aren't going to be accurate. They're my best recollection. Yeah. Uh, we, we have like 80 to 90% of our DNA in common with a lot of other organisms on this planet. You know, we share some of the same DNA as trees. We share some of the same DNA as animals. Yeah. Yeah. So def- I definitely believe in, in evolution. But I've, I've, I really believe in like more of like a manipulated evolution because my my belief okay, so is that we were to be like aliens like, like what? Like you think? Yeah. Do you mean aliens or do you mean like the theory of panspermia that perhaps you know life here on Earth was seeded from you know say like a, a rock from Mars that has Mars bacteria on it? No, no, no. no. Oh, I no, feel no. like I feel like aliens. I, 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 like I'm going to say aliens like I, Yeah like the Anunnaki Or like I'm going to say aliens But I know there's other words out there for them But Let's just say Yeah extraterrestrials Other worldly beings I mean yeah um, I believe those are what, so, what people misconstrued as gods Back in the day You know what I mean They were our creators that, I believe I, they I, were our creators That's my belief 
I definitely I lean towards some of that ancient theory. Yeah, I, I don't know if I you know I wouldn't say that I believe for sure that's how you know we evolved. Uh, but I, I do what I do believe is that yeah, a lot of these these creation stories or the, these weird sightings that these people have that they describe as gods, I think that was the only way they could describe what they saw. I think that to them that's what it was, and it may well have been you know just a a, a civilization that was. So far advanced as to appear godlike with their technology. Yeah. So, um, but as far as tampering, mm, don't know. You know, I, I would definitely be open to hearing ideas. You know, uh, you know, relevant information put forth. Uh, you know, I would definitely be open to that. But as far as what I believe, eh, possible, but I would have to lean towards doubt it. Yeah. Sam, uh, as far as evolution. Um, you know, I would have questioned you years ago. I would have questioned you definitely. But um, I'm not saying I believe in evolution, but I, I believe that there's some species smarter than what they, they seem to show believe, that they are. You believe I in... Um, say, I, I, I just want to say that, that basically, and Sam and I saw this, man, it, it was crazy, is uh, the... the, uh, the um, orangutans stepping into the stone age bro they were using spears to catch capture fish yeah that was crazy that was crazy to me and it's just like that and they said they like, could do a lot more if they had a thumb you don't think that was thumb? yeah and that's uh you know i'll give you another example too if you're, if you're into that as far as uh primates making use of tools the wheel i want to say it was a, a chimpanzee <laughs> but I, i've seen this now i don't I don't remember if it was uh, if it was like a National Geographic or something like that, but there's these ants that will use or these these apes that will use sticks to fish out termites. They'll stick it down in their in their in their mound. Oh let yeah, a bunch of yeah, termites yeah. crawl on it. They pull the stick out, wow, stick it off, yeah. stick it back in. So yeah, I mean that's tool use. That is that animal yeah. using a tool to help it manipulate its environment to get food easier. That is tool use. That is. How early hominins, you know, were where we came from. That's how early hominins developed. Yeah. They began to yeah. use tools. That's why we have risen to the top of the food chain. Is we have learned how to manipulate our environment and adapt it to our needs rather than the natural evolution that the animals do where they have to adapt to the environment. We've adapted to the point where we've evolved to the point where we adapt our environment to fit us, to fit our needs. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say, man, that Bob Lazar interview, I mean, documentary says uh, we're no longer on top of the food chain. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, you know, when you stop and think about it, when you stop and think about it, that, that's kind of scary that there's something out there mm-hmm. that has technology Smart. so far advanced to us that it appears to be magic. You know, that we just are so far behind, we can't even figure out how this works. Or, or, and sure can't figure out how to reproduce it. Now, that was the main goal of that entire project that Bob was on, was to learn how this works and learn how to make it from materials that we have here on Earth. I was going to say, you and I, Sam, uh, we've we talked several times that God's thoughts are always higher than ours. You know, we, we always throw that, that quote in there. Um, there are extraterrestrials. Uh, life. Oh yeah, I, I, I believe that. Which, I believe which, the universe which, is too big. Which I believe is like they're angels. But would you would you agree on that, or if you beg to differ, explain? 
Hmm. I, I would say it's possible. You know, I, I would honestly have to give it more thought, um, but I definitely do believe it is possible. You know, but I almost don't want to, like, I would, I feel, you know, what I feel is that maybe they're separate because I still want there to be, to be something that started it all, you know, and that to me is God, you know, or, or, you know, whatever set this all into motion. Uh, Someone no, or something had to. Something yeah, had to. I mean, it's just like, you, you just can't. Yeah. Like, no, I, I, I can't, I can't live life with thinking like, oh my God, two rocks hit each other or, and then just caused a big bang and then, boom, like, we happened. Yeah, no, I, like, <laughs> something set that in motion. Something set that in motion. And where'd those two rocks come from? Yeah. That's what I'm you know, saying. Something yeah, it, it just couldn't happen. Yeah, that, that's my thought like, on it. And especially, like, like with death and life. If there's no death or death in life, it's just like, there's no destination. Like, you, you don't, it's not that you're looking forward to death, but you, you are working as hard as you possibly can to live the best life that you possibly can to the end of that life. If that makes any sense. I, I don't know. It's just like, I, I just... I feel like somebody would have created death, death for for us to work hard, you know, to, to live a, a purposeful life instead of just relying on two rocks that or or whatever the cause happened. You know, it's just it, do I make sense to what, what I'm saying? No, I don't, I understand completely what you're saying. You know, basically, you know, it, it kind of leads back to me to that old question of you know. Does man need religion to be able to make sense of the universe, or is there really something, you know, is there really a creator? You know, that that's kind of the two different schools of thought, uh, where, you know, like, hey, is some is religion something that we created to help us deal with that feeling of hopelessness, or yeah. was it created because something really happened? Yeah. And then that one, yeah, I just, I don't know. But no, I get where you're coming from as far as, yeah, I mean, that, a belief system definitely helps, you know, I mean, because where else is your morality going to come from? Where is your, your sense of ethics going to come from? Yeah, it's just hard to just rely on a rock, bro. Like, like man. Yeah, I can't. I can't <laughs> believe that. <laughs> right, so yeah, yeah, I can't. Me, so I can't to, believe the whole rock thing. To help thing. put it in perspective, to help put it in perspective, let me give you a true atheist viewpoint. So a true atheist. Mm-hmm. Is going to look at, you know, the Big Bang is a completely random event that just happened, and isn't that cool? The universe sprang out of it. They believe in the theory of abiogenesis. So basically, that life just through the correct combination of chemistry and conditions, that life spontaneously began. So, unless you can wrap your mind around that and you're ready to believe that, I would say you're not an atheist. (laughs) Oh, I'm not an atheist. I I was just playing like devil's advocate when I said I was an atheist. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I believe, I, I, to be honest with you, I believe that it's just, un, 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 I don't think we're smart enough to comprehend what God is. I don't think we'll ever be smart enough. I agree. hundred. I agree 100%. I was, I was talking to Slim about this today. Yeah. On, yeah, I mean, we will never, as human beings, I don't believe we have the capacity to understand the mind of God. Yeah, you know, um, this being created our entire universe, we're a tiny speck within it. 
I mean, look at uh, the Voyager picture. It's a famous picture. You can find it online anywhere. It's called the Pale Blue Dot. When the Voyager probe was sent far out, the farthest we'd ever sent a human-made spacecraft, it turned around and took a picture of Earth. It took up one less than one, or it took up, I think, one pixel in that picture. Wow. Our entire planet. It's a tiny little speck. You can barely see it, but it's called the Pale Blue Dot. <laughs> to me, that kind of puts our universe in our, into perspective. But yeah, we literally are just one tiny little speck here. Something had to create all of that, and there's got Something. to be other intelligent life out there. There's too much space. Yeah, and I think you know, I think um, that's definitely a conversation for next time. But we definitely you want, we definitely want you back on because you you shed a lot of light and a lot of stuff, and you you know you're very smart. Believe it well, or well, not. Thank you so much. Yeah, because uh, we're running well, no, out of I, time I now. Appreciate so that. yeah, we're definitely going to well, have you back guys, on for I, I sure. For sure. We definitely have uh, well, enough for you having me on. <laughs> Hell yeah! Do you have any uh, Instagram, Facebook, or anything you would like people to follow you at, or or no? You... No, I am the uh, probably one of the only people that does not do social media in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> wow! <laughs> you know, I need to get I'm on your level. People, I'm a, I need to so get on I'm your all level. Or nothing person, right? Yeah. I'm an all or nothing person, so. I, I think that if I got into social media, I would fall completely into it, and I would be one of those people walking around with my nose and my phone constantly, and and I would miss the real world going by. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you, man. man. Thank you for coming on, man. We'll definitely have a part two on this joke. Because uh, we, yeah, we definitely have, 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 good, we have so, a d- to deep more. We have Area 51 and yeah. Sam. I think man. you know what what was man. more exciting than Area Fifty One is what he was just talking about, like God, and we can just dive deeper into that. I love diving deep into that. <laughs> hey man, you, you did an amazing job, Sam. Thank you so much for putting your perspective out there. And again, this is our perspective. We ain't experts, and you know we thank you guys for listening, and we love yeah, you man. guys and. Uh, Thanks for listening, man. Yeah, God bless you guys. Hell yeah. Follow us on IG, uh, Living in Mayhem Podcast, Twitter, at Living in Mayhem, um, Anchor, at Living in Mayhem Podcast, Spotify, Living in Mayhem Podcast, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Apple. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Limp Squad. <laughs> Limp Squad. <laughs>